After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome everybody to a Baseball America podcast, along with Hudson Belinsky and Ted Cahill. I'm John Manuel. It's our 2015 draft crew, finally complete. Took a while, but uh, Hudson's been here for a couple months, and now Ted Cahill's joined us this week and kind of back where he belongs. Glad to have you back, Teddy, from uh, the spring of 2011 uh, when you interned here and uh, would refuse my entries when I drove past you after you got off the bus and you would not allow me to give you a ride into the office. Uh, So I always enjoyed that stick-to-itiveness and determination and uh, then uh, spent the last basically four years, uh, three and a half years, working with MLB.com, both uh, in Atlanta, covering the Braves, and then uh, with the Pipeline crew, and uh, obviously respect those guys, Jim and uh, John over at MLB.com. So we're really happy to have you here and uh, taking over Ben Badler's long, vacant cube. So uh, it's a big responsibility, uh, taking over some draft coverage and some amateur coverage and then taking over Ben's cube, but... We think you're up to it, Teddy, so thanks for coming along. Well, I'm glad to, to be back here in, in Baseball America headquarters. Yeah, and it's a good time of year for it with the, the college baseball, the amateur baseball around here. And we're two months out from the draft, and we thought, let's go ahead and do a podcast here, Hudson. We, you, you've been prodding me for this for a while, and yeah. you and Bear did a couple of these as well, so I'm glad that we're finally doing one. So we're going to hit some high notes. Some of this won't be new. Some of this will be. Uh, we do have a new uh, updated top 50 prospect list that's coming up uh, this week at BaseballAmerica.com. And the obvious news at the top is stuff that did happen at the end of March, early April. Uh, the top two pitchers really on this draft class coming in, Brady Aiken and Michael Machuela, both going down with Tommy John surgery, obviously different situations. Um, let's, let's start with Aiken, guys. Um, I mean, the Aiken situation was so complicated last year. I guess the knee-jerk reaction kind of was this validation for the Houston Astros, I guess the, which I, you know, I understand why people reacted that way. Um, I guess for me, I'm more focused on this year's draft class and what would you do with Brady Aiken? I mean, it really just seems like we dropped into 10 on this list. Certainly last year we had two pitchers go in the first round with, who had Tommy John surgery, you know, even closer to the draft with Jeff Hoffman and Eric Fetty. But it just feels like Aiken's a different situation, Teddy, and obviously Hudson jumped in after that. But it's a unique situation to have a guy in his uh, situation with this recent Tommy John, with you know, the track record that he had as an 18-year-old last year coming into the draft. 
Well, well, how do you, I mean, is there a precedent? It doesn't seem like there's really a precedent of how to consider Brady Aiken. I, I can't imagine that there is. I mean, you know, you can look at a guy like Giolito, maybe, uh, and, you know, he falls uh, into the teens and the Nationals grab him, but, you know, there's a lot more going on with Brady Aiken than there right. was with, with Giolito. But I, I think Giolito is probably the, the closest that, that we can get. It's just too bad for the Nationals. They don't pick in this first round. Uh, so maybe maybe they wouldn't have signed Max Scherzer or other to a, as a free agent if they knew there would have been this many injured guys. It seems like it's Mike Rizzo's uh, Mike Rizzo's money ball. He likes to swoop in at the, uh, and get the injured guys, and it's certainly been successful. I think Teddy's right. Uh, Giolito probably is the biggest comp. I mean, what, what's your take on kind of we we struggle with where to rank Aiken? It seems like he's helped by the fact that this is not a great pitching year. Yeah, I, I think that in in a year. Perhaps like next year's pitching crop, which looks really good right now. Uh, Aiken falls even further, but granted, there's really, we'll get into this in a minute, there's really not a whole lot of impact talent in the draft. There's no no guy you look at and, and say, okay, that's a number one starter for us soon. Right. Um, and, and so that kind of helps you. If you're a team that's willing to, to roll the dice a little bit and you're not super concerned with the medical why not roll the dice on Brady Aiken? You're, you're going to spend a few million dollars, but you have a chance at, at something special, which and, you don't have past really 10 or 15 in this draft. And ultimately, that's going to be the key, obviously, guys, is the medical. What does that medical report show? Does it show it was a normal Tommy John surgery, or does it show there were some complications? Does it show that, yeah, it was a smaller-than-usual ligament or smaller-than-usual bone, and it's going to be more difficult to have done this surgery, and the, re, uh, the rehabilitation will be more stringent, or he'll be more at risk. These are all things that I don't think we know, and I, don't, I, don't, I think the teams will have an idea, but they won't really know conclusively because it's a pitcher, and he's injured, and pitcher injuries just seem like they happen. I mean, but we do have a decent amount of data that if you hurt your elbow once, you're more likely to hurt it again. So, mm-hmm. uh, But I, I agree, I, and I think that uh, I agree with you, Hudson, that this is not a great pitching class, one thing uh, that does seem to be coming up consistently, and I don't know if this has come up with any of the reporting you've done so far, Teddy or, or Hudson, that the top of the draft, that's not a bad top of the draft. It's just not an easy top of the draft. And they're, they're players I'm right. sure that teams like. But just as, in terms of arms, last year you had Kolick and you had Rodon and you had Aiken. Everybody liked those guys, you know, to varying degrees, but everybody liked those three guys. And I, I can't find three guys that everyone agrees on <laughs> in this yeah, year's draft I mean, class. I think any prospect you're, you're – you're going to be able to nitpick, and the, and this, this year the, those guys at the top you can nitpick a little bit more than you normally can. Um, we, when we get into those top tier of arms now, we're talking about uh, a potential impact arm in Dylan Tate and a potential impact arm in Kyle Funkhauser, maybe Nathan Kirby. The, these guys all have significant warts, right. or even if you want to look at at Carson Fulmer, who people you know there's there's questions on whether he's going to start or relieve. Um, and those are really the the questions for a lot of these pitchers. Right? Is there's there's no one who who gives you who doesn't give you a little bit of pause when you take them that high. Yeah, Tate to me has been the other kind of big story. I mean, we have we haven't talked much about Michael Matchwell, but Michael Matchwell has started off as the top college arm. Even and you can kind of talk about him and Tate to me at the same breath because Teddy, these were two guys. Two top college arms. Matchwell was number one on our board as far as the college pitchers coming into the year. Tate was a little bit further down, but neither one has the kind of track record and history that you look for. A, that, that usually the top college pitcher 
has, who, who goes like a Carlos Rodon or the David Prices or the Andrew Millers or these kind of guys. Right. I mean, uh, you know, Matuella has thrown 140 innings in, in his college career, and that includes summer ball. And, you know, Tate was a reliever uh, right. for most of his career, and it's just now that he's starting. And, I mean, he has the repertoire to start, certainly, but, you know, he doesn't have, you know, you look at, you look at the, these guys and they don't have a ton of Friday night experience. And, you know, Nathan Kirby is a guy that does, you know, Carson Fulmer is a guy that does, but, you know, I mean, the, there are a lot of questions on a lot of these pitchers and, you know, definitely more so than normal, especially with the guys that are, are going to go presumably in, in the top half of the first round. Yeah, I think that's the good summation. Funkhauser was good last Friday. I feel like he's definitely moved ahead of Nathan Kirby. I feel like Kirby. I agree. I, I wonder how the Virginia pitching track record. They've had a lot of quality arms over there. Obviously, Danny Holton was the number two overall pick in 2011. But the the Virginia pitchers in the big leagues are like Sean Doolittle, who was a, a pitcher and a hitter there, but was drafted as a hitter. Um, I can't even think of who the other like. There's no other. He's the most significant. Uh, so in the 11 years that Virginia's really had this very successful pitching run, um, it's, it's not a link. It's a, a longer track record of the guys who've been really good at Virginia and haven't panned out in pro ball. And I, I think that affects Nathan Kirby. Well, I mean, the ballpark there obviously is very yes. pitcher friendly, and you know. scouts like to project on their hitters. And you can't do that for the pitchers. Maybe you have to take it the other way. You know, I, I don't know that uh, we've seen enough of. of top Virginia arms to know if, if that's really a thing or not, right. but, um, you know, Nick Howard goes out in the first round last year, you know, we'll see what happens there, right. and Holson has to stay healthy before, you know, you can really figure that out, but I, I think with the park there, you know, obviously it helps pitchers, and it makes them look good, and Nathan Kirby's very talented, but I, I that is a, a real question that I think is worth asking if you're, if you're a guy that's looking at um, taking him in the top Top ten to fifteen. I mean, he he has track record. You know, guys liked him in high school a lot. People have seen him for a long time, and uh, you know, to me, this track record that sticks out uh, Hudson is I can't get out of my head. Omaha Cowboys Series Finals last year, when the whole when the chips were down, he was terrible. There's no way to put it. He was terrible in the Cowboys Series Finals. He could not could not throw strikes. And he could not write himself. I think Funkhauser has similar command questions, but is. There's progress on that front this year. I haven't seen as much with, with Kirby. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the issues with Kirby, um, you know, while he does have track record of, of being on the field, he also has track record of walking a lot of people. Right. And he, he does, it's not that he's missing low, below the zone. He misses high. And you, you can get he away with... He misses arm side, too, does he not? He does miss arm side pretty often. And so we, you can get away with missing low... Uh, a lot more often than you can get away with missing high in, in pro ball, right? And so when you're also you're you're talking about a guy who ha- does have pretty good velocity for college, yeah, ninety one, ninety four. I hadn't heard any fives, but th- that's mm-hmm. pretty much every time out he's ninety, ninety three, ninety four. Really good changeup and a, a short but late breaking breaking ball. So he's got three pitches. But if you're missing up with with your fastball and you don't have the fastball command, that how is that guy going to pitch in the middle of a rotation for you? Which is what you're looking for if you're taking a pitcher in the top ten overall. Right, that's, so, a, that's a good point. For, for me, he's definitely behind Funkhauser, but to his credit, he has that raw stuff that's unteachable. 
Carson Fulmer has a lot of raw stuff. I mean, that's the other guy who's in here who I think I, I'm just I'm looking at guys on the college side to start off who have improved their draft stock, quote unquote. He's a, a bad cliche, but I feel like Carson Fulmer is one of those guys. I feel like his former USA rotation mate James Caprillion is trending in that direction. Those guys are two different guys. Caprillion, it's smooth, it's easy. He has feel for his secondary stuff. He kind of, and the way I talked to one scout this year about him was that he does everything you want to see a starting pitcher do, except that his fastball is right around 90 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, that would have been great. Now, he would have been top ten pick. He would have been right up here. But the velocity in the game has just jumped so much. But it almost makes me like him better in some ways because maybe I feel like he's not going to get hurt. But Fulmer's the other guy who I feel like he's the most probably the divisive guy here uh, for me, Teddy, just because you know, if you like Carson Fulmer, the makeup's a plus. He's a winning type player. He doesn't have as much tread on the tire, maybe for a Florida kid, especially because they've he didn't start for three years on Friday in, in, at Vanderbilt. He was using relief a lot, even uh, even in deep into last season before he moved into the rotation. But he's certainly taken the front of that Vanderbilt rotation this year. He's taken that role and he's really run with it in a way that a guy like a Tyler Beatty did not there in his career. He really harkens back more to another short right-hander in Sonny Gray. I'm not sure he has Sonny Gray's feel for pitching, but he's certainly, I think he may be more athletic than Sonny Gray was. Well, Sonny Gray's really athletic. He is, um, but Carson Fulmer's kind of, Carson Fulmer I think is a special athlete. Yeah, I mean, I, the question everyone is asking there is, is Carson a reliever? Is he a starter? Yeah. And, uh, you know, where wherever you come down on that is is where you're going to have him on your draft board. And, you know, he's shorter, which is, um, you know, it is what it is. And his delivery is rather effortful. And, yes, it's uh, energetic if you like him. <laughs> it's max effort if you don't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, the, those, are, those are concerns, but he throws really, really hard. And... Uh, you know that that is something that a lot of teams really like. Yeah, he's third in the country right now. I didn't realize this. He's third in the country in strikeouts per nine, second in the country in strikeouts. Period. So uh, he's doing what we'd like to see some of our college arms, these top ten and picks. He's, do. he's getting better. And, yeah, and that's that's evident. I mean, if you look at his game logs from the past few weeks, yeah, he was outstanding last week. Ever, it seems like these past this past month or so, every time out, it's seven, eight, nine innings, ten, twelve, fourteen strikeouts, one walk, zero walks. It's he's dominating right now. And when you have that kind of performance mixed with that elite stuff, because I think there's an argument that his stuff is on par with. The, the Funkhausers or yeah. or even the Matuellas of the world. Right. When you know when we're talking about the stuff that Matuella has shown in the past, so the the real knock on him is is he going to be able to hold up for you know a starter's workload? And I mean that's that's a gamble that you I mean somebody's going to want to take it early in this draft because there's like we said earlier there's not <laughs> there's just not a lot there's of guys. not a lot of impact talent right there. I mean, the, the high school class does seem like it has uh, a little bit more impact potential. I would say that high school outfielders is a strong suit of this draft. At the same time, I was just reading a story that the uh, on MLive.com about Nick Plummer, and even the even Nick Plummer's coach said, "Well, he's gonna go, he's gonna go high. I know he's gonna go high in the draft, but when you look back at it, you don't see a lot of high school outfielders who go necessarily really high, or the track record of those high school outfielders is not great." And that's a savvy high school coach because he's right. High school outfield, um, usually you're taking high school infielders high or high school catchers uh, at your own risk high. But high school infielders is usually what you see, like a Brendan Rodgers. That's why he's at the top of our list. 
there's a lot of people like him who've gone to the top of drafts and have had ma- successful major league careers. High school outfielders is a riskier demographic, yet this is a good year for the deep year of high school outfielders, guys. And it's and not finding high school pitchers who are moving forward is harder to do when you have Colby Allard and Justin Hooper started the year as our top high school arms. Allard has the lower back injury that basically he's not, probably not going to pitch competitively before the draft. And Justin Hooper, so the start last week where, again, the velocity was good, the command was not. The arrow is trending down for Justin Hooper. It doesn't mean he won't be won't go good. And there are a lot of Chris Sale comparisons that get thrown out when you're six seven and left-handed and lean, kind of like uh, Hooper is. He's not a, he's not Chris Sale lean. He doesn't look you know like his arm's going to fall off every time he pitches. But he gets those Sale comparisons. Um, but he's he's trending in the downward direction. I don't know Teddy, which of those uh, you wanted to jump off on the high school pitchers or the, or the outfielders, but it doesn't look there's depth in those two groups, but. It, I have to imagine those are seem like they're two constituencies, two phylums of players that when you get in that draft room on draft day, they seem to fall down the list when scouting directors are influenced by general managers or other people in the front office. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of that is just that you know the, there are a lot of them, yeah. and uh, uh, you know whoever is making the, the final call, whether that's a director or a GM or you know whoever. You know, you're looking at it and you say, well, maybe I can get that later. And, you know, that you're hearing a lot of that already in this draft in general. Like, um, yeah, this is know. a trade down draft, if you could do that. <laughs> right. You know, there's uh, there, there's talent to be had. There's just a question of, you know, how, how strongly you feel about it. And, you know, some of those outfielders are, are um, you know, improving them, you know, helping their cause. Uh, as it were, so far this year. I don't know how much Nick Plummer's even been on the field. Yeah, not much. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, you know, but the pitchers, you know, they're there. Uh, they're they're going to have to answer some questions over the next two months, I think. And But the most important thing for all of those guys is just stay healthy right now. Because if you're healthy, you're in, a, you're in a good spot in this draft class. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, Nick Plummer actually uh, had an early case of uh, mono. And I'm not even sure they were playing games. They might have just been scrimmaging. So I've seen some reports online of where, oh, he's he's lost some weight. His body's trimmed up a little bit. He did lose weight, but it wasn't because he wanted to. He lost weight because he had mono. So uh, the body does look a little bit better, but that's because he's worked hard to, to come back from it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think when we're talking about the sort of like boom and bust nature of this class, we're going to see a lot of deals cut earlier that's it and, and I, I so i think what we're going to see is sort of a trickle down effect where guys who are are slipping that normally would slip out of the top 10 rounds teams are going to have money and going to be able to afford them in that fourth to sixth round range so you're going to see a lot of talent coming off maybe sooner than you would expect but it's sort of it's kind of a convoluted system obviously it's gonna be, i think it is going to be convoluted i also think in a i think you're both right about the deals so i think if you have a player who you're convicted on like a kyle tucker sounds like a player that uh we moved him up from our preseason i believe he was 28 to 14 i think i'm even a little light on him in this list i think he's going to go in the first 10 picks i think yeah, I, absolutely i think i'm light on him because people believe in the bat you see his older brother, he, we just talked about in a, a BA Today video, his older brother's hitting in AAA. He's got a better body than his older brother, and he's got similar power potential. So Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that there's there's a question on where he plays in the outfield. He, right. does, he, doesn't, have the, he doesn't have a plus arm. There, you'll get uh, between a 40 and a 50 on the arm. Um, 
and then he's not a plus runner, so he doesn't really fit in that center field spot. Right. And so that's, there's the there's the knock on him, and so is you know there's also the unorthodox swing, but you know it is a, a classic left field profile in, a, in the sense that he's going to be able to mash. And hit enough for his power to play. I, I forget if it was you, who, maybe maybe it was even you who said this to me. Like guys bar their arm, like he bars the arm. But there are a lot of guys in the big leagues who bar the arm. Remember how everyone had this issue? Oh, Todd Frazier's not going to hit in the big leagues. He bars his arm. Todd Frazier is hitting for all kinds of power in the big leagues. He's done it consistently. Uh, the other thing about Tucker is, uh, you know, he's. I, I think they're going to throw him out there in center field to start with. He's a pretty good defender. I mean, he's not the fastest guy, but you know, there. I mean, some team is going to going to give him that shot. And For sure, some team is definitely going to believe in that power because that is you know you look around the game right now and th- what's lacking is power, and and he has it. For some reason, the guy I think of when I think of him is, is Jesse Winker, even though because they're both high school outfielders from Florida. Even though I think Jesse Winker's kind of a very different player, and that it was hit over power. Kyle Tucker seems like he's power over hit, but Winkler, you looked at Jesse Winkler in high school, even though he only hit, I think, two home runs high school senior year, the scouts who were convicted in him believed in the power. He had a terrible senior year home run-wise. Um, I just remember talking to a scout before the draft who just went on a rant about it because he was so convicted. It was Manuelian and his, <laughs> he was getting all worked up about Kyle Tucker, I mean, about Jesse Winkler's power, and we've seen that's been borne out. I think you find scouts who are that convicted about Tucker. So I think he's going to go well in this draft. He has track record. He has history. And there are people convicted about the bat. Some other players who are famous in this draft class, who have been toward the front of the class for years, I think they might fall because they have higher expectations of what they're going to sign for, and they're not going to want to cut a deal. I'm thinking of Daz Cameron. I'm thinking of Chris Betts, isn't that? I think Justin Hooper might be in this group. I, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, guys, but Daz Cameron specifically is a guy who's so famous, and the more scouting directors I talk to, you know, he was the top guy in this class when he was a sophomore. He was probably the top guy in this class when he was a junior. He's not the top guy in this class anymore. He's not even the top outfielder. He might be the fourth or fifth high school outfielder. And he's not the, you know, not even the top prospect in Georgia at this point. Right. There's but, not there's not a six on the card for some of the scouts I've talked to about Daz Cameron. If you're convicted in them, there is. There's certainly no sevens. So I think Daz Cameron, son of Mike, probably is the most famous high school player in this draft class. If you're a casual Baseball America fan and you follow this class a little bit, you probably know Daz Cameron the most because of the big league name, Under Armour game as a so- after a sophomore summer. And yeah, I, I don't... I'm not sure. I think he's a little higher on our list at, at 16 than he needs to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the issue with with Daz is that we have that track record of him being the top guy. There's a little and fatigue. So, and I mean, so like last summer, he was he was a perfectly fine looking player. He wasn't a one one looking player, and and that's the the issue we have is that he's he's going to be favored a little bit highly, uh, but also he, he didn't have really a an impact summer. He looked like a, you know, a potential day one type last summer, which is is all fine and good, but it's it's not the same as you know, top guy in the class. Using your number one pick on a guy. Right. I mean, I think the I mean there are plenty there are a lot of outf- high school outfielders who have passed him is also the case. When you're talking about Tucker or Plummer or Garrett Whitley or Trent Clark, there's you could start to put together a pretty long list of, of high school outfielders who are ahead of Daz Cameron. Yeah, I guess the other thing I should say is uh, one of the notes we have from one of the scouts we talked to is that 
if you want a positive comp on him, you kind of kind of compare his package to that of Nick Gordon from last year, where Nick Gordon wasn't necessarily a tool shed, but he was a really good ball player with solid tools, solid average, if not a tick above average. So that's the glass half full way to look at Daz Cameron. But Nick Gordon went out and went crazy in his senior year. He did. And, and he's a shortstop. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and like, so, I mean, I, I guess that it, Daz is kind of, I feel like, getting caught up in the, the outfield glut. You know, if, if this is a year where there aren't as many outfielders, you see potential five tools and you say, well, maybe, maybe we, we still go for this, even though he hasn't quite lived up to the hype. But there, there are some options in that department this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that maybe, you know, even though this draft class isn't the greatest, uh, you know, if you're, if you're trying to stand out as a high school outfielder, it's, it's not, the, not quite the easiest thing to do. It's not. It's, it's, it's also difficult, I think, to stand out as a college shortstop because there is depth of that in this class. I wrote about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, about uh, in the modern draft era. I mean, we've got 50 drafts, so I, I cut it back to go to, like, to 1987, so we've had just one draft per year. No American Legion drafts anymore. Um, so I just cut it out at 87. I couldn't find a draft other than 1997, I guess it was. With, that was the high water mark for, with four college shortstops in the first round. And it does sound like, according to the high-level guys I've talked to, that we're very likely to have four of those guys in this, in this first round this year. Whether they deserve to be there or whether they're just getting taken there because they are... Uh, you know, first uh, th- th- there's no one else to take. That's the real question. Are there four first-round talent college shortstops? And then we know we have two. We list them as a 2B SS. He's playing shortstop this year. Dansby Swanson at Vanderbilt and Alex Bregman. Both those guys are having big junior seasons. Uh, they have track record. They've, they've hit at the college level. They've defended, especially Bregman this year, really has defended very, very well. Uh, I wasn't sure if you guys had a preference. Alex Bregman, Dansby Swanson, gun to your head, Teddy. Who are you taking there? Uh, Bregman. Alex Bregman, yeah, I, I, a little Albuquerque swagger. I mean, Dansby, obviously, <laughs> you can't go wrong with those guys. Uh, you know, I, I guess I just like Bregman to hit a little bit more. And, and Alex Bregman has it. The thing I like about best about Bregman this year is the hard contact. You know, he's got five strikeouts in SEC play at all. His average is lower in the SEC, but he's slugging again. The, sl- the power numbers have been outstanding this year. Um, this is a guy who's done it for three years, really. Dansby Swanson, uh, probably a little bit more athletic, I guess, than Bregman, but I think Bregman doesn't like it when people say that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing, but, I mean, and, I, and I'll take Swanson for that reason. I mean, I think that there's a chance that Bregman becomes sort of a middle infield utility type and not a true impact player, and... Again, that's sort of like that's fine and good, but that's not what you want if you're picking in the top five or top ten, which is really the range we're talking about for for Swanson or Bregman. I mean, I mean what? And then when you move on though, past those two guys, you get into this crop of maybe five or ten guys who have back of the first round or second round kind of tools, right? And there's a million of them, and so you can really, really just take your pick, and any one of those guys could kind of fit that that profile that I'm talking about with Bregman as, as a, a kind of high floor, not as high of a right. ceiling type. I do think Swanson's ceiling, and we have, that's why, to me that's why we have him ahead of Bregman, is that there's a there's a good ceiling there with his, his level of athleticism. And if he can play shortstop, I think he can do a lot of the things 
that Alex Bredman can do. I'm not sure that he would hit for the same impact bat, but I think he does more other things as well or better than Bregman does. Uh, but that next group is guys like Kevin Newman at Arizona, Richie Martin at Florida, Kyle Holder at San Diego, Mikey White at Alabama. For us, that was the next four guys. Um, and Kevin Newman seems like the divisive guy here. And, uh, you know, obviously Keith Law at ESPN does a ton of work on the draft and sees a lot of players and is never afraid to put his name next to an opinion. He's got Kevin Newman jacked way up his list. Uh, you know, there's no right or wrong when it comes to lists. I do not see Kevin Newman ahead of these other two players, guys. And uh, the reasons for that is, uh, according to all the scouts I've talked to, Kevin Newman, uh, well, A, he hasn't hit for much power. B, everyone I've talked to sees him as much more of a second baseman than either Bregman or Swanson. Um, not great first step quickness. Not great left side of the infield arm strength. Uh, more of a fringe runner than anything else. Uh, I, I've got him a below average uh, from one scout on his on his speed. Hmm. Uh, to, to me, this is more of a polished college bat, second baseman type. I, I'm going to go back to that 1997 class, which had four future big leaguers as college shortstops. None of them were really impactful. It was Adam Kennedy, Brandon Larson, Jason Delero, and I always forget the fourth guy, Kevin Nicholson. I think that if you're really comping him to a player, Kevin Newman's kind of an Adam Kennedy type. And Adam Kennedy had a good career. He was a 12-year big leaguer. He was a ALCS MVP. Was a regular on a was a first division regular for a World Series championship team with the Angels in 2002. He was a good solid player. To me, that's Kevin Newman kind of fits that, and he's a lot like Kennedy in terms of his college career. Adam Kennedy hit like 490 as a college junior in a very offensive college baseball era, and was a patient hitter at the college level. More more of a didn't walk as much at the pro level. To me, that's more of the Kevin Newman comp than a real impact guy. That's why he's lower on our list. But I don't know if you guys prefer someone out of this group, a Newman or a Richie Martin. or uh, And, of, of course, Kyle Holder is definitely my, my, kind of my cheese ball. So I've talked yeah. about that enough on the college uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the Kyle Holder train. I think, like, you, I I, I, first of all, I like, the, I like the Kennedy comp for Newman. I think that's a good one. But but I also think like when you're talking about Kyle Holder, that's I mean we talk about low mileage arms, <laughs> yeah. And then he's sort of the opposite of that, and a guy who hasn't played a ton of baseball, but has really held his own offensively. Doesn't have uh, the ideal swing plane, but right. he's a no doubter at shortstop, and I'll take that guy any day of the week. The no doubter at shortstop because that guy's going to play again. I think he's going to wind up at the back of the first round or in the supplemental round because there are just so many plus-plus tools. You can have plus-plus range, defense, arm strength. I've heard five, sixes, sevens. I've heard all kinds of varying degrees on the arm. But I've heard universal sevens on the glove on this guy. And uh, To use an old Clint Longenecker term, short area quickness. This guy has great short area quickness, more of a football term that you can apply to a guy who's not a blazing runner, Teddy, but really just has very good defensive ability. Um, I, I think he's probably the best defensive player in the draft. But but that doesn't mean there's not a place for Martin, who's a nice blend to me of these two players, has some offensive ability. He might be more of a six defender as opposed to a seven like Holder, but he's he's going to fit in somebody's sweet spot too. Yeah, I, I mean, I I like Richie Martin. You know, he's I, I think he's a first-rounder for sure. You know, he had a really good cape last year. Yeah, he's maybe hurt. not maybe not quite doing the same stuff back at Florida this year as a junior, but his athleticism is is very very good. 
and I, I think that you know that's going to help him stay at shortstop potentially, and uh, you know that that's the kind of stuff that that directors you know like to see out of a middle infielder is is how athletic are you because you know that I mean those are those are the tough defensive positions on the diamond. Yeah, he's starting to hit. He had a little low offensively. He got a good start, then a little low. Now he's starting to hit again in league play. Steals bases. I mean, I think he's an average to plus runner. I remember talking to one area scout early who was kind of down on Richie Martin, didn't like him in the, as a potential first-rounder, had him like as a third-rounder, and then talking to a couple cross-checkers after that, and they were like, no, no way. <laughs> this guy's definitely a shortstop, not an offensive second baseman. <clears throat> this guy can really run. You know, So I think Richie Martin's kind of in that sweet spot in between Newman and, and Holder. He brings just some of Holder's defense, not that level, but better than Newman, and, and some of Newman's uh, bat attributes. Not, not, the good Cape track record, not quite... 377 over 260 ABs or whatever it is for Kyle Newman, but uh, Kevin Newman, I should say. And then the other, I mentioned Mikey White. There's Blake Traha. Um, I think CJ Inahosa is probably the player who's dropped the most on our college yeah, shortstop list. He played list. third base on Friday and DH the next two. I mean, Oof. Yeah, that's that's not a, a huge vote of confidence at the college level, but I mean, the, the, the big thing for, for Hinojosa, I'm probably always going to butcher his name. But it's a fun name. I like his. I, I think that's one of the things I like best about <laughs> him. Um, um, I mean, he doesn't have the. He doesn't look like a shortstop. Right. He, he, he looks like a catcher. He, he looks like a catcher. He looks like a left fielder. But he does move well there. I mean, he's not. He doesn't have big league range. Right. And that, and that's the issue with him. And he and he really hasn't stu- stood out at the plate this season. So kind of a, a backwards year for him. But he's shown tools in the past. I think that whole crop really. There's probably there's probably a, maybe a half dozen shortstops you could see in that between that second and fifth round when you're bringing right. in guys like Trahan, Hinojosa, Kel uh, Simmons, Kel yeah, Simmons, Simmons, Kevin Kramer, Daniel Panero. Yeah, there's uh, Fletcher, David Fletcher from Loyola Marymount. Yeah, David Fletcher's kind of like a, a lesser holder, but not that much lesser. I mean, he's not quite that level defender, but. Has more track record at the, with the bat. And then there's an, the other guy we haven't talked about is, is Leon Bird from Rice, yeah. a, a guy who's converted to shortstop. Who's, I don't think he's very different from Traha, really. Not that no. different of a player at all. No. So it's, it, it's super interesting to see this many, I mean, this just the sheer numbers we have in terms of college shortstops that are in the mix of this, this kind of range. And so, most of these guys we're talking about, have a good chance to stay at shortstop. That's usually the thing with these right. college shortstops is like, okay, they play shortstop now, but where are they going? Right. And that was one of the actually fascinating points when I reported that story. I don't think I used this in the story because I had less space than I thought. And I'm still, for some reason, governed by <laughs> space sometimes. I should just branch out. I'm too used to writing for the magazine and not the web. Um, but the guy, uh, one of the guys I talked to, uh, is in an organization, he said, like, you know, look, I'm used to... Uh, international shortstops. You know, I'm just used to it in our organization, seeing Latin American guys, seeing that level of athleticism, seeing the quote-unquote Latin actions. It's just going out and seeing these guys this year. It's been one of the most encouraging things about this year's draft class is it's not just that there are a lot of college shortstops who are, like a Mikey White, it seems more as a guy who's going to be a second baseman or third baseman type. But there are a lot of other guys who he thinks can go out there, just like you said, and play shortstop. And that really has been heartening because you do hear the doom and gloom. There are a lot of doom and gloomers out there, but the state of American baseball and, you know, I just was emailing this morning. This is extremely anecdotal, but like <laughs> my son's youth league has two leagues. There's an American league and a national league. They're like 30 teams, but the next <laughs> suburb over has three teams. 
three in the whole league, in the whole suburb. And he's like, you know, they just didn't have participation. And you hear all these participation rates that are down around the country. For, that This is what's spurring pace of play. It's what's spurring pitch smarts. what's spurring so many of these initiatives out of the commissioner's office. So this is encouraging that there are, I, I mean, I don't know if that will help kids play baseball down the line, but it's encouraging to hear that there are athletes, guys who can play, stay at shortstop, play in that position. That's a Baseball America podcast along with uh, Ted Cahill and, and Hudson Belinsky. We're just uh, musing on the draft, guys. Um, does sound like in general, Hudson, this is a good area scouts draft. There's a good depth sure. draft. And you've been going to a lot of games in, both around here. You were just up in the uh, Mid-Atlantic this weekend uh, seeing a guy like a Blake Hickman, Hickman at Iowa with the classic rivalry of Iowa versus Maryland baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it packed it in there uh, in Maryland. Uh, it was actually a decent crowd both both days I was up there. That's good. The Terps are have some actually have some uh, some buzz as a program after winning a regional last year. But just yeah. so, who are some of the guys both off that weekend and recent weekends? Who are some other guys who've who've jumped out at you this year that you've seen? And obviously, Teddy and I can jump in on some of those players. But you maybe start off with uh, with Hickman, the converted catcher who's uh, gone full time to the mound this year and has been pretty good at it. Hickman is is super interesting. He's not not the guy you think of early in the draft in terms of top 10 or he, he's really not in that tier but what he is is a super athlete 6'5 215 ish with huge arm speed he's 90 93 touching 94 he's been up to 96 consistently there are whispers of 97 and he's got feel for spin already he's you could project an above average slider an average curveball and there's I mean, the changeup's not quite there yet, but the changeup is a field pitch for anybody. So that, that's a really interesting high ceiling arm. That if you're going to be rolling the dice somewhere, why not do it on Blake Hickman? Because he's he's different from the from the you know small track record gotcha. in that he's a low mileage. So yeah, he's, he's fairly he, new to pitching still. He's pitched for 18 months, so it, it's he's an interesting one. Um, it's probably a good year for him to be in this mix this year, and there's not a lot of he doesn't have again his competition are similar guys in terms of the low track record. Yeah, I mean, and then really like if you want to get into the high school pitching and sort of back into the outfielding situation, I think when you you look at a guy like Demi Arimaloy from Canada, yeah, that might be the highest. He might have the highest ceiling of any of those high school outfielders. You'll, you'll get absurd comps on what he could be. Uh, if guys definitely like the bat with Demi, and the people love that program, the Canadian Junior program. Scouts just like how that is run, the amount of talent. I mean, it, it still like drives me crazy that Dalton Pompey was a 16th-round pick. Like, how that happened? And, and his but, little brother's making some waves with a late push here, and then you can do that now that now in Canada because you're seeing those those teams against... You're seeing Ontario Blue Jays against Washington Nationals rookie ball or, you know, junior national team against the Phillies. So you get to see them against pro talent. So you don't always see them against refined players, but you can see what they they do when they get 96 at the knees. So you get better looks at those hitters later in the spring than you do for really any, any other kind of hitter. And you, you, you can see college hitters against that kind of stuff, but you don't see a high school hitter facing consistently facing good pitching. Yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't happen and uh no, but Demi there's definitely strong buzz on Demi. 
Um, I know you like uh, some of the other uh, the, the other northern and uh, uh, central northern. Uh, I mean, upper Midwest. Kind of some of these other outfielders. I know you like Mike Nickarak uh, as an, another high school arm who's got some. You know, the velocity rings have been very strong early in the year. Um, you know, I, I wasn't sure, Teddy. I'm not sure if you've seen Ian Happ this spring or uh, yeah, DJ Stewart. Some of these college bats that we talked about the college uh, middle infielders. I got to see DJ Stewart quite a bit uh, against NC State. I still think he and Ian Happ are going to go pretty good, but I mean, when you compare those guys to like Michael Conforto last year, they're kind of, you still seem like you're just waiting for one of these college corner bats to just really explode and really produce like an A.J. Reed did last year. Not necessarily to hit 25 home runs, but 15 would be nice. You know, 15 and not striking out too much. You know, Conforto didn't do that last year. Who's the other guy that was in that same? Uh, Kyle Schwarber was kind of seen as in that same boat. Had a good year, not a great, I guess you'd say, college junior year. I guess it would be easier to get all on board with what, that one of these guys is going to be a, a real breakout pro if they have a breakout college season. Yeah, it looked like Ian Happ was on his way to doing that at the start of the year, and uh, he's cooled off a little bit. Right. Uh, I mean, what he was doing at the start of the year was probably unsustainable anyway. But, uh, you know, and DJ Stewart, you know, has that little unorthodox swing, and, I mean, it works for him, but... You know, there are questions about how that translates. You know, I mean, the the college bats are always down, like literally right. always. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, this year, no, nobody outside of Bregman and, and Swanson is, is really stepping up and, and, and running. You know, the shortstops are, are stepping right. up, but the, the corner guys... Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't quite know where guys are going to find them this year. And like friend of the program and uh, and a buddy of yours, Chris Webb was having. We had that little Twitter conversation about like college first baseman. Now Chris Shaw recently injured the kid at Boston College. I know he's playing right field at BC, but big body guy. I think thought of more as a first baseman. If you go to that 2008 draft when there were like eight college first baseman draft in the first round, and you know all of them have made the big leagues now. Even Alan Dykstra. Kudos to Alan Dykstra. He made the big leagues. He did. He got called up this by year Rays. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. Hashtag rise and grind. A lot of a lot of <laughs> a lot of grind. That guy grinded it out for seven years. Uh, won several. Uh, what was he? Eastern League MVP in 2013 as a 25 or 26 year old. But eventually, and so some of those guys were disappointments. Brett Wallace was a disappointment. Justin Smoke, not over yet, but has been a disappointment. Pedro Alvarez now over at first base, but. Um, I, I mean, he won a National League batting title. He still has been a disappointment, I think. Not batting title, home run title. I still think he's been something of a disappointment, all the strikeouts. So that class, you know, David Cooper was a big leaguer, but not a, a real impact guy. But still, all those guys got to the big leagues. But there's no college first baseman on this list, with the exception of Shaw. And now he's got a broken hammock. Yeah, that's, just, that's it, rough. It's, it's hard. It, it seems like, I don't know if it was just that class, Teddy, like, uh, like uh, Chris theorized, but it just... I don't know that class. That was a very unique class of college first baseman that year. Well, absolutely. Uh, and my theory is that the year before is the Matt Laporta draft, and Matt yeah. Laporta and his subsequent uh, washout kind of ruined first baseman for everybody. Um, that, 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 that I think there's validity to that as well because everybody liked Laporta. Yeah, I mean AJ Reed last year hits 23 home runs, wins Player of the Year. Going away. Destroys the SEC on the mound, too. And, uh, you know, I, I know some teams had him as a first-rounder, but he didn't, you know, he's winds up first pick of the second round. Yeah, you know, the other guy who's kind of in here, um, Hudson, you brought him to my attention last week, made sure we got him on the 50, was David Thompson in Miami. Yeah. He's a little bit of an acquired taste for some people, too. I, I'm, I'm on the David Thompson train. But this is a guy, I'm not sure he's a third baseman, maybe he's a first baseman. 
he could really hit, though. And this guy has really shown, and he has track record. This guy hit a ton of home runs in high school. He's doing it again in college. He controls at-bats. I mean, there, there's little doubt for me that he's going to be able to hit in a big league lineup. And that there are questions about him at third base, but I think he's athletic enough where he can play somewhere else. I think you could stick him in, in left field. I, I, I could definitely see him playing well in left field. And I, I don't think there's... There's, I don't think it's out of the question that he plays right. third base. Um, but really, Shaw Shaw really is the only kind of first base prospect that's really. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people who think he can stick in the outfield. Yeah, the corner bats are just harder to find always the college level. That's why, thank goodness for the college part of the draft, there are all these shortstops because the the college the college corner bat who has the athleticism to do that at the pro level. Just keeps getting harder and harder and harder to find. So, uh, a, a little bit more, more and more. Uh, it's good to see that there's that depth of players, athletic enough at the college level, who are going to maybe stay in the middle infield or uh, you know move over to second base, third base, um, those kind of guys. So, I do think that the guys I don't uh, envy in this year's draft class uh, are, or this year's draft are the people who have to do mock drafts, like me, Callis, Mayo, Keith Law, <laughs> whoever do, whoever does a mock draft. I just don't envy them because. It's going to be very difficult to match things up because if you try to do it on talent, you're just going to be way off. And everyone, there's no consensus at all. I feel like every year there's less and less consensus when it feels like there should be more because there's more events to see guys in and we should have more track record. There's more video. Instead, I think I feel like the more information there is, the less consensus there is about a draft class. And you throw in the injuries, the uh, the, the deals that are going to be cut. It's going to be very difficult to do a mock draft. Doesn't mean that it won't be fun to do. It doesn't mean that we won't do them. Um, but we will. So we, we will do them. It, it seems like this year there are so many guys who, in a different class, you, you would look at as as wild cards. But that's just the norm for this class. Pretty much everybody is either pop but not polish, or is he going to start or relieve? Can he stay at this position? Uh, there's so many, so so many boomer bust types in this draft. There's there's no safety. Right. Really. Like it, it's. It's absurd. Yeah, it's a different draft class for sure. But I think I do think it's fun, and I do think a lot's going to change as the weather is finally baseball weather. We're in the spring. A lot of these injuries have shaken out, and a lot of these northern kids are finally starting to really get And the Nick Plumbers, the Nicorax, et cetera, et cetera, are really – Ash Russell. Ash, in, Ash yeah. Russell, great example. A lot of these guys are really starting to get on the field in, in, uh, in closer to midseason form. So a lot of evaluations are going to change, and the draft board's going to change, and – and we'll try to report as much of it as we can uh, here at BaseballAmerica.com, both on the podcast, on the web, in the magazine, over all the platforms to use the hackneyed term now. So great to have you on the podcast, Nook, here, Teddy. Excited about it. Great to have the, a, full, a fully uh, operational team here and uh, fully staffed. And we'll be back with another podcast here soon at BaseballAmerica.com. So for Teddy and Hudson, I'm John. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 